after, Lord, I pray that you would uh, give me the words to say. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon me at this time. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be able to minister to the dear people. Thank you, Lord, for uh, these dear people that would take time on their schedules to be here on a Sunday night. Many of them, again, the second time. And Lord, I pray that you would just uh, bless them and, and bless me, Lord, as we look at your word. Speak to us tonight. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Isaiah chapter number 6, and Isaiah 6 is, is one of the uh, most famous uh, chapters in, in, in the book of Isaiah, really probably one of the, a real famous chapter just in the Bible in general, but for sure in the book of Isaiah, there's certain chapters that are just real famous, Isaiah chapter 6 is definitely uh, one of them, and you know, uh, I, this is what I've noticed about studying the Word of God, uh, and, and, and presenting sermons and delivering sermons, is that it seems like the most well-known passages are the hardest to like outline or prepare a sermon for, you know. And, and the ones that are just kind of crazy, uh, you know, obscure ones that people haven't really heard, those seem to be the easier ones to kind of outline. So tonight I just want to give you a few thoughts. We'll just go through the verses and give you a few things. Uh, in regards to Isaiah chapter 6, I'm sure many of you have heard or read some of these verses. We'll just begin at verse number 1. The Bible says, In the year of King Uzziah, in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. It's interesting because this chapter uh, begins with an empty human throne and an occupied heavenly throne. And I don't want to take the time to go through the entire life of, of Isaiah. You know, we'll, we'll eventually preach through about the kings of Israel and all that, and we'll get to know that. But Isaiah was, for the most part, uh, a good king. Towards the end of his reign, he, he made some mistakes there, and he did a few things that God didn't, wasn't pleased. He actually ended up getting leprosy as a result of it. But for the most part, you would say he was a powerful powerful king, he was a strong king, and, and he was a good king as far as kings go. And he actually had done a lot to kind of further the cause uh, of, of Christ or the cause of, of, of God there in the land of Israel. And it's interesting because the, the, the phrase about the Lord sitting upon his throne is connected to the fact that Uzziah was no longer on his throne. Notice, notice verse 1, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also. Do you see that word also there? So he said, in the year that we didn't have a king, that the king was had died, and obviously when, when there's a, a change in leadership, you know, even with the kings, you would have a king and then his, his son would come up and reign, but that would be a time of, of maybe uh, discomfort or maybe a little bit of, of just questioning. How are things going to go? Is this going to be a peaceful time? Usually when a king died, that would be the right time or a good time for someone to try to usurp authority or an enemy to come and attack. And the Bible says, here, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high, and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And just, just reading that verse, it, it, we ought to be thankful that no matter what happens in our government, you know, we, we live in a, in a government that honestly, it's getting worse and worse every day. And I mean, at the closer we get to the end of the world, the closer we get to the tribulation time, the closer we get to, to all those things, we're getting closer to a one world government, we're getting closer to a one world religion, we're losing more and more liberties, we're losing more and more freedoms, and sometimes it's easy to look at, you know, the guy running the show, the president or the kings of this world and to get discouraged and to say, oh, if we had this guy in office or if this guy would go or if this guy did that. But you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who's sitting on the, on the throne of the king because the king of kings is always on his throne. 
and Isaiah, he, he connects these thoughts. He said, Isaiah, King Isaiah died. He said, but you know what I also saw? You know what I also acknowledge? The fact that the Lord sitting upon the throne. And I want you to notice these words. High and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Look at verse 2. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. Now Isaiah is actually being allowed to look into the throne room of God. And he's, he's seeing the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And he sees these seraphims. These beasts. The Bible says each one had six wings, and with twain, meaning two of the wings, they covered their face, and with twain, two of their uh, uh, wings, they covered their feet, or maybe their entire body with their feet, and with twain, they did fly. Now here's what, and notice verse 3, and one cried unto another, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of His glory, and the post of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Now here in Isaiah, we find Isaiah looking into the throne of God and he sees these seraphims, six wings, they covered their face, their feet, what two did they fly, and they're crying out, uh, and they're, they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Keep your finger in Isaiah chapter 6. Go to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, because many hundreds and thousands of years later, when John was writing the prophecy of the book of Revelation, he also got to Look into the throne of God, and he saw these same beasts. And I want you to notice how they're described in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 6. The Bible talks about angels, and then the Bible talks about seraphims, and the Bible talks about cherubims. The difference between a seraphim and a cherubim is, uh, as far as we can tell from Scripture, a seraphim had six wings, a uh, cherub had four wings. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 6, they're described uh, in just maybe a little more detail. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 6, the Bible says, notice what John wrote. He said, and before the throne, talking about the throne of God, there was a sea of glass. So we get a little more description. You, you can imagine the throne of God, the sea of glass like unto crystal, uh, and in the midst of the throne, and round about the throne, were four bees. Now notice these bees. They were full of eyes before and behind. Do you remember on Wednesday night we were talking about that paradise is, is where the throne of God was? And remember we, we talked about the fact that the, that the tree of life, they, that they're on either side of that sea that is received. So you, you got to kind of get that picture. you got the throne of God, and from the throne of God you've got this sea, uh, uh, this uh the sea of glass that is like unto crystal, and, and we already saw from other passages of Revelation, on either side of that sea you've got the, the trees of life, and then verse uh, the end of verse 6 tells us, and there were four beasts, I want you to notice the word beast means an, an animal, it says there were four beasts, I, I, can't, I can't explain to you what all this means, but it says they were full of eyes before me, I don't know what that means, I don't know what that means, that this, this beast has eyes everywhere around its body, I, I, don't, I don't know, you know, whatever God does, is good, you know what I mean? But I, I can't imagine what that would look like. Look at verse 7. And the first beast was like a lion. And the second beast, like a cow. And the third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And there's a lot of symbolism that we won't get into tonight. Verse 8. The Bible says, and the four, the four beasts had each of them, notice, six wings about him. Do you see that? So you see how it's the same kind of the same description Isaiah saying? Isaiah says, I saw the throne of God. I saw the seraphims. They each had six wings. John says, I saw the throne of God. He says, I saw these four beasts. And um, verse 8, and the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of 
lies within, and they rest not day and night, saying, notice what these guys are saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come, and when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to Him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever. Now go back to Isaiah. I just wanted to show you that, uh, that uh, reference there and the similarity between John and Isaiah. But you've got to get this, this image of God in your mind as, as best as you can. Imagine looking up into the throne room of God and having God sitting upon His throne and with, with, with the beauty and the glory of His train and, and His power and to have these beasts, these seraphims with six wings all, you know, uh, 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 worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, worshiping God and they're crying. And I want you to notice, look at verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 6. Because when we read this, we get the idea that they're crying, that they're, they're, they're like shouting this to God. But in verse 3 it says, And one, talking about a seraphim, cried unto another. So they're shouting this at each other. The seraphims, these beasts, are crying this, and one seraphim says to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And maybe the other one turns at him and says, You're right. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is. And is you understand, the, the, these seraphims are not shouting uh, praises to God. They're shouting and crying to each other about the beauty and the glory of God. And you need to understand this about God. Isaiah is seeing God as He truly is. When Isaiah got a view of God, here's how he saw Him. High and holy and lifted up. And you know, we live in a society today, and we live in a, for the, for the lack of better words, a Christian society today, that has a very low regard about God. You know what I mean? Today, you go to these churches, and everything's just casual, everything's just, ah, whatever, ah, you're a drunkard, or you're living in fornication, or you're just, you know, you, you don't know what the Bible says, you don't care what the Bible says, it's no big deal. Let me tell you something, God has a lot of attributes, the, the Bible tells us that God is love, and God has a lot of attributes, but His number one attribute, and the attribute that supersedes any other attribute, is that of His holiness. Notice these seraphims are not yelling, Love! Love! They're saying, Holy! Because God is holy. And that's His number one attribute. And you know, we have to understand that when you begin to see God as He truly is, when you begin to see God, not what we've been told about God, the way people talk about God today, it's like He's Santa Claus. You know what I mean? He's, he's going to give you nice things. And he's kind of this old guy upstairs. Let me tell you something. We ought to treat and have reverence and respect for God. And we ought to see Him as He actually is. And if you open up a Bible, and you begin at Genesis, and you read to Revelation, and you begin to read about this God of the Word of God, you will find out that this God is a very high and very holy God that we serve. You say, well, why does this matter? Why does it matter to get a right view of God? And here's why you got to understand why it matters to get a right view of God. Because you cannot get the right view of God without also getting the right view of yourself. You know why most churches want to worship a made-up God that they made up? They may call Him the God of the Bible, and they may call Him Jesus Christ, but it is not the Jesus of the Word of God, and it is not the God of, of the Bible. It, they made up characteristics about Him. They said, He doesn't care. He's fine with all your sin. He's just like Santa Claus. You do whatever you want. God, God is okay with however you want to live your life. And they made up this God because you got to understand this. When you begin to deal with the real God of the Bible, and you begin to see the God that is high and holy and lifted up, and you begin to 
presence of God and acknowledge who He truly is without also acknowledging who you truly are. Isaiah sees God and notice what he says in verse 5. Then said I, notice, woe is me. Now if you remember from last Sunday night, remember in chapter 5, Isaiah was preaching to the children of Israel, and he's getting down, you know, it's Sunday night, and he's stomping, and he's screaming, and he's yelling. And remember, he declared six woes to the people. Remember, he kept saying, woe for this, and woe for that, and you're a sinner, and you need to get right with God. But notice, when Isaiah gets a view of God as he truly is, he no longer is looking at the people, but he looks at himself, and he says, woe is me. Notice, for I... I'm undone. He says, he says, I, he says, I'm a mess. He says, I'm undone. He said, I, 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 don't, I don't have things tied up like I thought I had them tied up. He says, well, it's me. I am undone. Why are you undone, Isaiah? He says, I am undone because I am a man of, notice, unclean lips. And he sees his sin and he acknowledges the sin of his people. He says, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen. What, what, what is bringing this about, Isaiah? Why are you looking at yourself and recognizing who you really are? He says, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. you got to understand, God wants you to see Him as He is. Because when you approach God and see Him as He truly is, you can't help but begin to see yourself as you truly are. Keep your finger there in Isaiah. Go to John chapter 3. Let me, let me show you this in a different aspect. John chapter 3 and verse 19. You say, well, we can't see into the throne of God now. The Bible teaches that we can see God. Through spiritual eyes, we can begin to know God and understand God. You say, how do you know God? Here's how you know God right here. The Word of God. As you know this book, and as you study this book, and as you understand this book, it will begin to reveal God. And here's what you got to understand about God. Are you there in John chapter 3? Look at verse number 19. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. John chapter 3 and verse 19, the Bible says, And this is a condemnation, that light is come into the world. That's Jesus Christ. He was the light. That light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Who's the light? It's Jesus. Light is coming to the world, but men love darkness rather than light. Why do men love darkness rather than light? Because their deeds were evil. Verse 20. For everyone that doeth evil, notice, hateth the light, neither cometh to the light. Why do you hate the light? Why do you not come to the light when you're doing evil? Lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth, the guy that's living right, the guy that's doing honesty, but he that doeth truth, notice, cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest. The word manifest means that you're able to see them. He says that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Here's what you can understand. When you approach God, and you begin to see Him as He truly is, He, because He's Jesus Christ, is light. And the closer you get to God, see, we, the Bible says we were in darkness and we were in sin. When you were in the world, you were all messed up and all sorts of sin. You were so filthy and you didn't even notice. You didn't even know. You're doing this wrong and you're doing that wrong and you're just doing all sorts of things that God is not okay with. And you're just living your life. But when you begot, maybe you got saved and you began to walk with God and you began to approach God and the closer you got to that life, the more clearly you were able to see the 
you'll sit on your life. You understand that? And see, the closer you get to God, the more clearly you're able to see yourself. See, Isaiah, he, he, it's, he's good at looking at everybody else. He's saying, hey, you got a problem, and you got a problem, and you got a problem. But when he, the, the heavens opened and he saw God as he was, he looked at himself and said, I am a nun. I am a man of unclean lips. He said, I, I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He said, why, why does God want me to get close to him? Because the closer you get to him, the more clearly you can see the sin in your life. See, people say, say, man, I used, you know, I, I go to this other church and I always feel good there and I always feel encouraged there. And then I come to Verity Baptist Church and I always feel so guilty. Maybe they're not doing a good job at presenting you who God really is. Say, well, why is it that I feel guilty every time I go to church? Because the closer you get to the light, the more filth you can see on yourself. See, it's not a bad thing that you feel negative. It's a good thing. The closer you get to God, the, the, the more you realize, the more clearly you see who God really is, the more clearly you begin to understand, woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips. So go back to Isaiah, look at verse 6. Say, well, why would God want me to acknowledge my sin? Why would God want me to acknowledge who I am? Why would the light want me to come closer to manifest my, my problems? Why do all that? Here's why you do it. Verse 6. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me. That'd be scary enough, you know what I mean? Having one of those things fly up to you. It says, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. In heaven there is an altar like the children of Israel had, the tabernacle with the altar and the coals and the fire and the incense and all those things. And this seraphim had grabbed tongs and taken a coal off that altar and he flown close to Isaiah, look at verse 7, and he laid it upon my mouth. Because remember, Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips. And this seraphim, he laid it upon my mouth, verse 7, and said... Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. I want you to notice that word purged. You say, why does God want me to approach Him? Here's why God wants to approach Him. Because the closer you get to light, the more clearly you can see yourself. Why would God want me to clearly see myself? So you can see the sin in your life and the things that God is not necessarily happy with. Well, why would He want me to uh, acknowledge those or confess those or see those? Because He wants to purge those away. Keep, keep your finger there in Isaiah. Of course, that's our text for tonight. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to just show you a few, uh, a few things uh, to kind of reference back to in this chapter. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, we're going to go to 2 Timothy, then we're going to go back to Isaiah, and then we're going to go back to 2 Timothy. Okay, so keep uh, a bulletin or a ribbon or something in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And look at verse number 20. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 20. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20. The Bible says, but in a great house, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor, and some to dishonor. Now the, the great house being referenced here is the household of God, and the vessels would be a representative of, of, of you and I, the believers in the household of God. And the Bible says that there are some vessels that are to honor and some are to dishonor. You know, when I read that, the question I have is, which one am I? My vessel to honor or dishonor? Look at verse 21. And if a man therefore, notice this word, purge. Talk about cleansing or removing the filth or the dirt or the deadness. He says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, 
he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. See, it's interesting. Keep your finger there in 2 Timothy. Go back to Isaiah chapter 6. Okay? Here's what we have in Isaiah 6. And by the way, this is kind of the calling of, of Isaiah into the ministry, or when Isaiah went kind of into the ministry or in an official type of way there. But, but I want you to understand something about this. Isaiah sees God as he truly is. And Isaiah approaches God and begins to see who he truly is. And God begins to purge away those things that Isaiah, those problems that Isaiah, and by the way, sometimes when God purges, it hurt. If I was to take a hot coal and put it on your lips, you think that would hurt? It would burn. But notice, all of that leads to this verse. Isaiah chapter 6. Well, look at verse 7 again. We'll, we'll read verse 7 again. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched my lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Notice verse 8. Also I heard... Notice that first he'd seen God. Now he hears God. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. God asked the question, He said, Who shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, I'll, I'll go, I'll do it. He says, he says, Here am I, send me. Now notice the response that he gets from God. In Isaiah 6, 8, he says, Here am I, send me. In verse 9, notice what it says. And he, talking about God, said, Go. You see that? Now here's what you got to understand, okay? God wants to use you. And God wants to use me. But go back to 2 Timothy. Are you, did you keep your place in 2 Timothy? Look, look at 2 Timothy again. Look at verse 21. 2 Timothy 2, 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, is that not what happened to Isaiah when they brought the coal, put it to his lips, and he was purged of the sin, he was purged of the iniquity? He says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. Which one are you? Honor or dishonor? He says, I like to be a vessel unto honor. He says, well, here's how you become a vessel unto honor. You purge yourself from these. He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and, make note of this word, meat. The word meat means suitable, usable. Meet for the master's use and prepare unto every good work. You gotta understand this about God. God does not want to use dirty vessels. God wants clean vessels that are purged and meet for the master's use. Now, some of you are thinking a few questions. Let me try to answer your questions, okay? Some of you are thinking, well, then God can never use me until I get all the sin out of my life? That's not exactly what I said. And you may be thinking, well, I am Pastor Livingston. <laughs> you know, I've got all sorts of things you don't know about. And God has used me. Well, the Bible kind of teaches that too. Go, go to John 15. Let me, let me just try to show you this point. John 15, and, and, and just look at verse 1. This is a famous passage. We've seen it before. But let me try to show you something from this passage. If your question is, will God not use me till I get all the sin out of my life? The answer is no. And if your question is, well, is God not going to use me if I'm a filthy vessel? The answer is yes. You say, well, how do you bring those two thoughts together? And let me kind of try to explain that to you through John chapter 15. If you look at verse 1 of John 15, the Bible says, I'm the true vine. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. He says, I'm the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. We talked about that a lot. God has no use for you if you're not bearing fruit. You're just kind of wasting his time. But he says, every branch that beareth fruit, 
So there's a branch that you say, well, I, I got someone saved, or I was used to God in a, in a way. I was able to do something. The Bible says every branch that beareth fruit, notice, every branch that beareth fruit, He purgeth it. You see that? So does God have to purge you before He can initially use you? The answer is no. But notice, every branch that beareth fruit, He purges it. Why does He purge it? That it may bring forth more fruit. See, you got to understand this. Sometimes you, you, you may be thinking, I'm going to try this soul winning thing. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get soul winning. And you know, you know, sometimes we joke around and we call it beginner's luck. But it, I, I truly believe it's God. Whenever a brand new soul winner goes out soul winning, it seems like more often than not, man, they just got somebody saved right off the bat. And they're getting somebody else saved. And they're getting somebody else saved. And God is saying, yep, I want you to get a feeling for that. I want you to get a taste for that. He said, I'm using you. And you get excited and they get you start to feel, God is using me. But you know, there comes a point where God says, okay, I've used you up to the point that I'm going to use you. And now I've got to purge you if I'm going to use you anymore. See, do you think that Isaiah had not been used of God prior to Isaiah chapter 6? You see, God had already used Isaiah, but he had to purge him. He'd already borne fruit, but he had to purge him that he may bring forth more fruit. See, there comes a time where God says, I, I, I'll, I'll use you, you're new, I'll use you, I'll give you a taste of this thing. But there comes a time where God says, if I'm going to use you anymore, we've got to start dealing with some of these things in your life. We've got to start purging some of these sins in your life. And you've got to understand that God wants to use you, but He does not want to use a dirty vessel. He may use you for a little bit to give you a taste. He may use you for a little bit to try to encourage you. He may use you. He may let you bear some fruit so you can see the beauty of uh, bearing fruit. But He says, now we're going to purge you so you can bear more fruit. And that's what God is talking about and doing here with Isaiah. Because it's interesting. Isaiah sees God. He sees himself. He says, woe is me. He says, I am undone. And after he is purged from that sin, then we have those famous, those fa- that famous verse. You can go back to Isaiah chapter six, look at verse eight. Isaiah chapter six and verse eight. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, "Whom shall I send, and who will go for us?" Then said I, "Here am I. Send me." I'd like to bring something else to your attention in regards to this verse. People talk. I remember when I was a, when I was growing up. And even today, people talk much about the calling of God. I'll often have people say to me, when did God call you into the ministry? And you know, they want me to give them some tear-jerking story about, I was, you know, in this meeting, and the Spirit of God fell upon me, and you know, I don't know what they want me to say. I started speaking in time, I don't know what they want me to say. But you know, they want me to talk about this experience where the, the room got bright, and I, and I heard, you know, harps, and, and, and God called me into the ministry. You know, people talk a lot about the calling of God. You know, I'm not saying that God doesn't call individuals from time to time. But you know what this verse shows me? Is that God is more than willing to take a volunteer. He knows what he says. He says, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, oh, well, I don't know if you'll take me, Lord. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if you can use me. He said, I just got purged of some sin. But he said, if you'll use me, he said, here am I. Send me. And God says, go. See, sometimes we hide behind these excuses. Well, I, I haven't been called or I don't have the gift or I don't have the talent or I don't have the ability. Hey, if you have a willingness to be used of God, God will use you. God takes volunteers. Isaiah is one of the greatest prophets of, of all the prophets. And he volunteered for the ministry. He said, God, 
you haven't really called me. I'm just kind of going to call myself, and I'm just going to ask you if it's okay. Let me tell you something. You know, I, I, tell, probably, people, I, I tell people this often, because I get a lot of phone calls from people that listen to the preaching online and watch the videos online, and, and, and you know, sometimes young guys will call me and say, oh, I want to go in the ministry, but I, I don't know that I have the calling of God. Listen to me, if you go out and you start a church somewhere, and you get people saved, and you help people, you know, with their lives, and you're baptizing, and you're discipling people, and you spend your life helping people, and investing in people, and ministering to people, and, and, and getting people saved, and you spend your whole life doing that, and God did not mean for you to be a pastor, I, I just got a feeling that God is going to be okay with it. You know what I mean? I don't think God's going to be upset that you got people saved. I don't think God's going to be... You say, Pastor Menos, do you have a calling? I don't, I don't really know. I just know that I don't think God minds us doing what we're doing. Because God takes volunteers. He said, here am I. Send me. And, and here's what's interesting. The, the response. Look at verse 9. The response. And he said, go. He said, he said can I go? And God says, go. And he said, well, what do you want me to do, God? Notice. And tell these people... Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. And you you got to understand this, and I, I was going to do this, but it was going to take way too long. It, it's interesting how so many of the commandments of God, and specifically the Lord Jesus Christ, how He kept telling people in the Gospels, Go, go, go. He said, Go ye into all the world. He said, Go ye therefore. He said, Go, and He would often, He said, Go, work in my vineyard. And the command of God is always this. If you ask, God, what can I do? He's always going to say this, Go. Go tell somebody. Go tell this people. Go preach a message. Go tell them about the gospel. Go tell them something. And you got to understand this. God wants you to use you to go. God wants to use you to bear fruit. Look at verse uh, 10 of Isaiah. Or look at verse 9 again. Let me show you something else kind of interesting about this passage. Isaiah's verses 9 and 10 are used, are, are verses that are uh, quoted throughout the New Testament. And I want you to notice Isaiah verse 6 Chapter 6 and verse 9 says, And he said, Go and tell this people. Notice what he wants him to tell the people. And I want you to pay attention to this because this seems a little odd. He says, he says, Here's the message for these people. Hear ye indeed, but understand not. He said, I want you guys to hear it, but I don't want you to understand. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. He said, I want you to see, but not really perceive. It's kind of that same idea. You're not really understanding what it is that you're seeing. Look at verse 10. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they... Now the word lest, he's saying, he's saying, I want you to shut their eyes. He says, because I don't want them. He said, unless they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart. Now notice this. And convert, and be healed. Now you and I would look at it and say, well God, don't you want people to be converted? You know, don't you want people to hear and respond and be converted? But here he's telling them, I want them to hear and not understand. I want them to see and not perceive. He said, I, I, I want them to shut their eyes that they don't see, that they don't hear, that they don't understand. Because I don't, he said, lest they understand and convert and be healed. Jesus quoted this passage. Go to Matthew 13. Let me show you a couple places where this is uh, quoted. Matthew 13 in verse number 13. Jesus quoted this to the Pharisees when he was speaking to, and by the way, Isaiah is speaking to the nation of Israel, which were the, the flesh, you know, the, 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 the physical descendants of Abraham, and he's saying, you're, I, don't, I want you to see but not hear, or see and not perceive, or 
hear and not understand. He said, I don't want you to get it. I don't want you to be converted. In Matthew 13, in verse 13, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. Notice what he says. Matthew 13 and verse 13 says, Therefore speak I to them in parables. This is why Jesus spoke in uh, parables. People think that parables were just these funny little illustrations that Jesus used because they were cute. You know, they, they're great stories and they're, they're, there's a lot of truth in them. But the reason that He spoke in parables, the Bible says, is because of this. Because they seeing, see not. And hearing, they hear not. Neither do they understand. Notice, look at verse 14. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. That's, that's the prophecy that we're reading about in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which say, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I I should heal them. He said, I don't want them to see and hear and understand. I don't want them to be converted. I don't want them to be healed. Go to Acts 28. Acts 28. That was Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. In Acts 28, you have the Apostle Paul again speaking to the Jews. This was a prophecy. The, the primary application is to the unbelieving Jew, but there's an application for everyone. Acts 28, look at verse 25. Acts 28 and verse 25, the Bible says, And when they agreed not among themselves... Remember, in Acts 28, Paul is, is in, in prison, kind of. He's in a house where, he, you know... He's living in a house, and he's kind of under house arrest, but people can come visit him, and he's preaching to these Jews that are coming to visit him. In verse 25, he says, And when they agreed not among themselves... He's talking about the Jews that are listening to the sermon. They departed after that Paul had spoken one word... So, they're, they, Paul preaches to them. Some believe, but some don't believe. And they're kind of arguing about his message of Jesus Christ. And here's Paul's response. After that, Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers. So notice, he's, he's going to quote Isaiah, verse 26. Here's the quote, saying, Go unto this people, and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Now you're, you may be asking a question, well, I, I don't understand. Doesn't, doesn't God want people to get saved? And here's the question, yes He does. Doesn't, want, doesn't God want people to hear the gospel and have the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as Savior? And the, question, and the answer to that question is, yes He does. But you need to understand this about God, and this is not a doctrine that's often talked about, and people don't, they want to ignore these verses. God may be the, the God of the first chance, and He's the God maybe of the second chance, and the God maybe of the third chance. But God is not just this God that's going to give you as many chances as you want. There comes a time when an individual crosses a line where God says, you know what, I don't really want them to hear and understand and perceive. Because I don't want them to be converted, and I don't want them to be healed. 
Now, before you go off on a Calvinist, you know, side of this and try to take these verses and say, well, see, God has chosen those that are going to be saved. You've got to understand that every single time that these verses are quoted, it, they are quoted to individuals that were given an opportunity to receive the truth. They were given the opportunity to receive the gospel, and they chose to reject it, and they rejected it, and they rejected it, and eventually God got to a place where He said, you know what? I'm done with you rejecting me. From now on, I'm going to reject you. It wasn't that they were born without the opportunity. They had an opportunity. But when the Jews in the day of Isaiah, and the Pharisees in the day of Christ, and the Jews in the day of Paul, had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to hear the gospel, understand the gospel, to receive the gospel, there came a point where both Jesus and Paul said, this is just like Isaiah, when God told the people, I want you to hear, but not understand, and see, and not perceive. I don't want you to get it. I don't want you to believe. I don't want you to be converted. I don't want you to be healed. You got to understand. Yesterday we were all so many. Uh, yesterday afternoon, and I gave the gospel to this individual, and I went thoroughly. I mean, went through and explained the gospel very thoroughly to this young man. He's a sharp guy. He's getting everything. He understood the gospel. He understood it was a gift. It's free. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. Once you have it, it lasts forever. It's eternal life. God's never going to take it away. It's not based on the things I do. I can't get it based on what I do. I can't lose it. But he understood the gospel. And he said, I don't know if I believe it. And this is what he said to me. He said, well, how long do I have? He said, I mean, can I just kind of, can I, you know, can I just kind of live my life the way I want to? And, you know, just right before I die, get saved? And I said to him, you know what? I don't really know how long you have. Because when you die, you cross, the, the Bible says it was pointed unto men once to die after this is judgment. But God may reject you before you even get to that day. There may come a point where God says, I want you to hear it and not understand it and not perceive it. I don't want you to be converted. You've got to understand this. God does not just give you an infinite amount of time. There comes a time when you cross a line and God says, I will reject you. He says, in other passages, cause it being a reprobate. And you know, what else are you going to do with these verses? People, you know, they'll hear me, hear me preach this and they'll say, that, that is so, I don't think that that's true. God gives everybody all the chances in the world. Then what do you do with these verses where God is looking at people and saying, I don't want you to be converted? What? He said, I don't want you to, I don't want to heal them. I mean, Jesus said, I don't want to heal them. You got to understand. You say, you know, and you, you, and it's, it's true with salvation and it's true with just being used of God in general. You know, you, you kids and you teenagers, listen to me very carefully. You, you're, you're saved and you got eternal life and you can't lose it. You know, if you tried, I, I get that. But you, you think that you're just going to go out and live in the world and just live like the devil. And at any time that you choose, that you want to, you're going to come back to God and everything's going to be fine. And let me tell you something. There may come a time where God just says, you know what, I've had enough. And I'm not talking about losing your salvation if you're saved, but, you know, you can lose a kingdom, Saul, and you can lose blessings, and you can lose opportunities, and there comes a time where God says, you're saved, but I just really can't use you anymore. God is not a God you want to mess with. The Bible says, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth. That shall he also reap. Be sure your sin will find you out. Go back to Isaiah chapter 6, look at verse number 11. Then said I... This is Isaiah speaking. He says, Lord, how long? Two other prophets 
asked the same question. Daniel said, how long? And John in the book of Revelation said, how long? He said, Lord, how long? He said, how long do you want me to preach this? How long do you want me to stay with this thing? And he answered unto the cities be wasted without inhabitants, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaken in the midst of the land. Now this is a prophecy of the actual time of, of Israel when the Babylonians were going to come and, 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 and take a captivity of the land. But look at verse 13. He says, but yet in it shall be a tent, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a teal tree, and as an oak tree, whose substance is in them, when they cast their leaves, so that the holy seed shall be a substance thereof. And Isaiah talks about this more in other passages, so I don't want to do a lot with it. But it's interesting because God is saying, you know, Isaiah says, how long do you want me to preach this? He said, I want you to preach this until the cities be wasted without inhabitants, the houses uh, without man. He says, until the land be utterly desolate. He said, until my judgment is poured out. He said, but I'm going to keep a remnant. And it's interesting because he says, but yet in it shall be a ten. Now here's what's interesting, is that one of the reasons for the Babylonian captivity is because, if you remember in the Old Testament, they were supposed to keep the Sabbath, and I, I often want to say this to people, you know, these, these Seventh-day Adventists and these uh, even Baptists that say you got to keep the Sabbath and you shouldn't have church on the Sabbath day, and you know, uh, all those things... I often want to ask them, you know, they, they, they say you want to, you need to keep the Sabbath, but part of keeping the Sabbath in the Old Testament was not just resting on the seventh day. Part of keeping the Sabbath was that you were to rest the seventh year. You were to work the land for six years, and on the seventh year, you were supposed to allow the land to rest. You know, I want to ask these, these people that try to tell us, you shouldn't be having church on Sunday. Do you take every seven years off and just trust God to, to bless you? You know, I doubt it. You can't just take one part of the Bible and, and, you know, just, and, and try to throw it in people's face and, and not take the whole thing. But they were supposed to allow the land to rest that seventh year. And, of course, they didn't do that because that's not good for economy. It's not good for commerce, you know. They were able to make more money by not allowing the land to rest than, than, and to do what God did. And, 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 of course, they were stealing their tithes from God and they were doing all sorts of things. And God actually put them, this is kind of spelled out in, in different books of the Bible, but God put them into captivity for 70 years because it had been 70 Sabbath years that they had not allowed the land to rest. And God says to the people, He says, you know what, if you're not going to allow the land to rest on the years that I, he said, I'm going to take you out of the land for 70 years and I'm going to allow the land to rest the 70 years that you should have allowed it to rest. See, you, you can't fool God. He's going to get it out of you. And one of the things that these people were doing was that they were not paying the tithe that belonged to God. And it's interesting because God says, I'm going to remove you out of the land. He said, but I'm going to take my tenth. Notice verse 13. But yet in it shall be a tenth. He said, he said you don't want to give me 10% of your income. He said, I'm going to take 10% of your people and the night he can go to captivity. It's just, it's an interesting thought to say, you can't fool God. Don't mess with God. God says he wants a Sabbath day. He's a Sabbath year, give it to him. He's going to take it from you. <laughs> You know, I don't know what the application here. I guess the application is this. If you don't tithe, you're going to go into captivity. I don't know if that's the application. But the application is this. Don't mess with God. God is a God who is high and holy and lifted up. And we ought to treat Him with reverence. And we understand that when we approach God, we don't approach Him with dirty hands. Right? We ought to be clean vessels, meat for the Master's use. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dearly Father, Lord, we love You. Thank You for the book of Isaiah. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to apply these truths in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to, 
be like Isaiah, and, and, and maybe we don't have the talent, and maybe we don't have the, the skills, and maybe we don't have the ability, but if you'll use me, God, I'll, I'll volunteer. Lord, I pray that there'd be somebody here who'd say, I'll, I'll volunteer, I'll, I'll go. Maybe it's to full-time ministry, maybe not. Maybe it's just to be a soul winner. Maybe it's just to go to their neighbor and tell them the gospel. Lord, help us to have an attitude of, here am I, send me. Lord, I pray that you would bless us as we continue to study the book of Isaiah. Lord, help these verses to uh, be used throughout the week, that the Holy Spirit would use them in our minds and our hearts to challenge us to be, to, to see God for who He truly is. And when we come to the light, we're able to see ourselves for who we truly are. Help us to deal with sin in our lives. Hidden things in our hearts and our minds that maybe nobody else knows about. Help us to become those purged and clean vessels that you can use. We love you, Lord, in your precious name, I pray. Amen.